You know, I've never been much of a guy who pays attention to jewelry. You know, I barely like wearing a watch. So when I got engaged to my wife, Susan, and I was looking to buy uh, our engagement, her engagement ring, I got a crash course on jewelry. You know, the importance of cut, clarity, color, and carrot for a diamond, all the different options that were available. And when it became time to shop for our wedding bands, I wanted a thick wedding band made of platinum. You know, I heard that it was good material. A couple of my friends had platinum wedding bands. But when I saw the price tag of it, I almost fell out of my seat. The price for my platinum wedding band was over twice the price of Susan's wedding band, and her wedding band had little diamonds all around it. And as I was looking for cheaper options, I was surprised to learn that gold was way cheaper than platinum because platinum is rare. Every year, about 1,000 tons of gold is mined, and only 150 tons of platinum is mined. And if you notice here, I'm not wearing my platinum wedding band today because I lost it snorkeling in Hawaii over 18 years ago. So now I wear a rubber one because my wife does not trust me with anything expensive in my life. So I share this today because Jesus gives us one of the most recognizable statements that he has ever taught, the golden rule. We saw it in verse 31. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Many believers and unbelievers alike live by this rule, and frankly, if we did, we would be a better place for it. You know, I wake up in the morning, and immediately I want to get my cup of coffee. If I live by the golden rule, it would be nice if I also got my wife a cup of coffee. Or if I'm driving to work and I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of traffic on the Edens, it would be really nice if someone let me cut in front of them. If I live by the golden rule, I should let someone else cut in front of me. Or if I show up late to a meeting and I would really appreciate your grace for being late, if I live by the golden rule, if someone is late for me, I'll give that, them the same grace. To live by the golden rule, it's a good thing. This is a good rule. But here's the thing. This is not exactly what Jesus is thinking here. Because when we think about the golden rule, we often think of people that are already in our circle, our, our friends, our family, co-workers, or, or well-meaning strangers. But notice who Jesus is talking about right now. Verse 27, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Verse 29, to one who strikes you on the cheek, the one who takes away your cloak. Jesus wants us to love difficult and mean people. You know, the context of our verses is that Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Plain. And it's in this teaching, he gives a picture of the upside-down countercultural ethic of living in light of the kingdom of God. And for those who truly want to follow him, it's in this sermon. Jesus tells them, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And what Jesus demands in these verses is more than just the golden rule, to do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Today, he gives us the platinum rule to do unto others as Jesus has done unto you. The reason I'm calling it the platinum rule is because this type of radical love is very rare to see, rarer than the golden rule. That this love for enemy that is being asked is more than just people who bug us, but these are deceptive and controlling and manipulative people. 
Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about somebody who is physically or sexually abusive. That's different. It's illegal. These people are hard and difficult and hurtful to be around. And Jesus says, love them. Be patient with them. Be forgiving to them. Be tender to them. As followers of Christ, we are called to be different from everybody else in how they deal with differences and disagreements. For example, if you have an enemy, the world teaches, get even. Jesus teaches, get right. If you have somebody take something from you, the world says to take it back and take something, along, take something of theirs along the way. Jesus says if they take something from you, bless them with something else. This is the upside-down kingdom ethic of love in what it means to follow Jesus. This is the platinum rule. So with that, let's go ahead and unpack what Jesus teaches here about the platinum rule, to do unto others as Jesus did for you. Let's look at verse 27 to 30 again. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now, Jesus is not saying here, if someone wants to steal from you, that you just become a doormat. That's not what he's saying at all. The context in those days, in those ancient days, is that Roman soldiers were allowed to force subjects to carry their packs. They could ask anybody at any time to carry their pack, and by law, for only a mile. So you can imagine that if you were a Jewish person, under the oppression of the Roman Empire, you would not be happy about this. Jesus says here, don't just give them a mile, give them two miles. Roman soldiers could force you to give them a cloak. Jesus says, give them that and also give them your tunic. Jesus even says that they might strike you, turn the other cheek. Now, this could be a literal slap to the face or more broadly, an insult. But the key here is no retaliation, physical or verbal. If they hurt you, do not hurt back. You know, this is where the teachings of Jesus feels almost impossible because we live in a world that does not function this way. Instead, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Don't get mad, get even. Let's give them a taste of their own medicine. Jesus gives no room for this. As a matter of fact, in our verses, he doesn't even give you a room to have a hardened heart or to hold a grudge. He doesn't even give you room to ignore them. He says, love your enemies. Why? Because it gives proof that you are truly following Jesus because easy people are easy to love. That's what he says here in verses 32 to 34. He says here that easy people, you know, for example, it can be easy to love people of the same education level, socioeconomic economic status, of the same skin color, of the same political party. It's easy to love those who do favors for you. Jesus says in verse 32, for even sinners love those who love them. Verse 40, 34, even sinners lend to sinners. In other words, it takes no supernatural power to love easy people. To love easy people gives no evidence at all that you are a follower of Jesus. Verse 35, but love your enemies. 
and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. When we love our enemies, we look like our heavenly Father. You be sons and daughters of the Most High. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. When you love your enemies, you look like him. But here's the thing. Our natural response when we are hurt is not to look like Jesus. Our natural response is payback. You know, when I was a kid, I shared a bunk bed with my little brother, and he slept on top, and I slept on the bottom. And right between the wall and the bunk bed was this little gap, and what my brother and I would do all the time was play peekaboo. So I would go ahead and just put my head in there and pull it out, and my brother, you know, it would be fun, like he'll be dropping like plush dolls down to try to hit my head, and that was kind of our thing at nights to play around together like that. Well, on this one evening, my brother decided to put a baseball bat in his bed. Now, to this day, I have no idea why it was on his bed. So we're playing around again, and he thought that it would be funny to roll the bat down the bed. So it comes down, and the bat hits me right on the nose. And I am screaming, I am crying, I'm running up and down the hallway. And can I just tell you something? In that one moment, my desire was not to say, brother, I love you, let's hug this thing out. No, 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 no. My desire was to punch him right in the nose. Thank God I didn't do it, okay? I was in too much pain to do it. But that's what I wanted to do. Can, can I tell you something? This is what happens with the, the difficult and hurtful people in our lives. We want to hurt them too. As a matter of fact, we want them to feel the exact pain that they inflicted on our lives. But when we do this, we end up looking like the very people who hurt us. But when we love our enemies, we reflect the love of God. A love that is not self-interested, but selfless and sacrificial. Notice here that when Jesus calls us to love, this is an action. He doesn't say love your enemies and only show it with well-meaning thoughts. No. He says here, love is to walk a mile. Love gives a tunic. Love turns the other cheek. When you love your enemies, give them more than they could ever deserve because I want you. God is saying, I want you to reflect my heart. I want you to show the world as my followers how kind I am, how merciful I am, how gracious I am, how patient I am. When you love in this way, you are giving a family resemblance because Jesus loves loved us this way. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who did Jesus die for? Who did Jesus suffer for? It was for his enemies. The very people that put him to death, he came to save. Jesus was mocked, abused, and slapped. And instead of getting even, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus was stripped naked. His tunic and robe were taken, and Jesus allowed it. He didn't demand his rights because if Jesus demanded his rights, we would be doomed because what we rightly deserve was condemnation and punishment. But he took it upon himself. 
Christ loved his enemies, and because of his love, we can be sons and daughters of God. It's in his selfless love he transformed us, and when we love others, we can transform them. We can stop the vicious cycle of injustice, bitterness, and revenge. Now, to give a quick application, once again, Jesus here gives very practical ways to love our enemies. That it's so much more here that's being taught than just tolerating your enemies or, or even ignoring them. Jesus says to love. Now, oftentimes when we think of love, you know, we think that, you know, we love our enemies simply by holding back. You know what? I, I didn't yell at them. I didn't slash their tires. I didn't throw their clothes out into the street. And we think that's good because of what we haven't done. Jesus says, no, love them. Your love for your enemies is not by what you don't do. Your love for your enemies is what you do for them. Well, what does this look like? Do good to them. Well, what does that mean? It's to be kind. It's to extend grace, mercy, and kindness. Bless those who curse you. This means that those who slander you or gossip you or attack you with their words, you don't return the favor. You don't, you don't write a negative tweet. You bless. You say words of favor towards them. Pray for them. Pray that they will come to repentance and come to Jesus. Endure their mistreatment. Give and expect nothing back. When you think about those who are difficult and mean, can you do one of these things for them today? You know, Jesus shows us here that it's oftentimes in the most painful parts of our lives, with the most painful people in our lives, it can provide the most glorious opportunity to show off who Christ is in our lives. Here's the next thing that Jesus teaches in the, on the platinum rule, and it's in verses 37 to 42. It's how to exercise judgment with Christ-like love. Now, it's important to know what kind of judgment that we're talking about here, because these verses here have been so misapplied that it's crazy, that oftentimes people read these verses and treat it as a blanket statement to, to say that you cannot ever give anyone a form of critique or moral, moral evaluation that's bad, that's intrusive, you shouldn't do that. That's not what this verse means. As a matter of fact, one of the most unloving things you could ever do is not to help others to walk in holiness and in greater faithfulness with Jesus. It's unloving to do that because you care more about yourself than you do for them. The judging that Jesus and the Bible consistently forbids is a judgment that condemns. It's a judgment that powers up over people. It's hypercritical. It's harsh. It wants to punish. This is how the world operates. But in the upside-down kingdom of God, judging others is a humble approach, a prayerful approach. It's a selfless approach. We are to practice a judgment that must be tempered with mercy and wisdom. This is why loving judgment is a platinum rule, because it is so rare to see. Instead, what do we see happen? We see gossip. We delight in the failures of others. That is an unloving judgment. You know, or when we drive and someone cuts us off, you know, we pass them up and we just drive right next to them and we stare them down. And when we stare them down, we're not saying hello to them. We stare them down to let them know, I see you, and don't you ever do that to me again. Or did you know that the number one TV show in America for close to 20 years was Judge Judy? Did you know that? Judging is easy. Looking down on others is easy. 
but loving others and building them up, that is rare. That's why it's the platinum rule. So what Jesus does here is that he helps us to be like Jesus on how to practice a judgment that is radically loving. First, he says this. He tells us to be generous with our posture when we do this type of judgment. Verse 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, then you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus teaches here to be generous in our judgment. Verse 38. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That Jesus says here, you reap what you sow. You know, you know what goes around comes around. If you're harsh, you will be treated harshly. If you, assume, if you assume the worst of others, others will assume the worst of you. You know, if you keep a record of wrongs or you keep people on a short leash, others will do the same to you. But the opposite is also true. If you're quick to forgive, if you let go of resentment, if you assume the best of others, you'll experience that in return. You know, when it says, in verse, it says this in verse 38, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Okay, now what's going on here? Jesus right now is using a farming analogy. Now, back in those days, the way that harvesters got paid, the people who worked on the field, the way that they got paid, is by the end of the week, they could take home a basket full of wheat. But throughout the week, as they're working every day, they carried these big baskets from the field to the barn, back and forth, but they could never fill it to the very brim because it would be way too heavy, way too heavy to do that. So more often than not, they would probably only fill it maybe halfway, you know, so that they can be, it could be manageable to move it from the field to the barn, back and forth. But on that last day, for that final basket that would be theirs, they would pack it. They would press it down. They would shake it so it settled. And then they would fill it up some more, pack it some more, shake it some more, fill it to the very top. You know, it reminds me of a time I was eating at a buffet with my family. And my family, they love eating at Asian buffets. I don't get it, but it's our thing. But my uncle, who couldn't join us because he had to work, my grandmother wanted to make him a box of food for him. Now, the buffet had this offer where they had these to-go boxes, which was one set price. So basically, whatever you could fit in this box is yours at that one price. My goodness, my grandmother, she went to town, okay? She just went crazy. So she was up there. She laid out all the meats. You know, she would squeeze out all the gravy and unnecessary juices. She would take all the seafood and clams out of their shells because that would take up space. Even the chicken, she would debone all the chicken and put all the meat in there. There was no empty space in that to-go box. By the time we were done, that box weighed like 10 pounds. My uncle had leftovers for days. You know, Jesus, what Jesus is doing here is painting a picture that God loves to bless his children who practice the platinum rule. That our blessings will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's more than we can ever handle. So Christ followers, be generous. Be gracious in your judgments because that's what God seeks to do with you. And we already know he's done it on the cross with Jesus Christ. Don't you worry about it. Your God will take care of you. That's awesome. That's an awesome promise he gives here. Jesus continues by saying, in addition, if you want to practice a loving judgment, be careful also 
who you follow. Uh, Verse 39 and 40. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. We become who we follow, whether it's religious or business or in social settings. The people we look up to will impact the pattern of our lives. So if your leader is blind, you're going to fall into the same pit. But if you have a leader who sees with moral clarity and can navigate the tension of walking with messy and broken people, if you have a leader who's always looking to build others up and show kindness and humility, that's a leader that is modeling the platinum rule. Now, the reason Jesus is specifically highlighting this is because this is his critique towards the Pharisees and religious leaders because they were modeling a very unloving and hypocritical judgment on others. Which leads us to the final section here. If you want to practice loving judgment, you also have to deal with your stuff first. You got to deal with your stuff first. Verse 41 to 42. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, but you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log that is in your own eye, and when you see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So the principle here is very simple. It's far easier to see the sin in others than it is to see the sin in ourselves. Jesus teaches here that whenever you notice the sin in others, full stop. Stop and immediately ask, do I see it in my own life? Seeing sin around us should immediately cause us to first examine sin in us. How do I need to be more holy? What do I need to confess? So to be clear, Jesus is not saying that we should not help our brother and sister in Christ turn away from their sin. We're commanded to help each other grow in holiness, to become more like Jesus, to spur one another on towards Christ. This is the platinum rule. What Jesus gives us here is a process in order to follow. Deal with your stuff before you correct somebody else. Before criticism, there must be personal confession. You know, look at the illustration that Jesus uses here. That Jesus says here that you have a person with a speck and you have a person with a plank, okay? So let me just illustrate this. Uh, Brian, actually, if I can use you for an example here. So, Brian, I'm gonna go ahead and give you, my friend, this golf pencil here, okay? And if you can hold this against your eye, okay? And actually, I'm gonna put this against my eye here. Okay, so this is the picture that Jesus is giving here. Imagine that you're at church and you're kind of just like hanging out and just like, hey, Brian, I don't know if you saw this, but there's something in your eye, man. You know, that's sin. You know, everyone else can see it. But you know, I, like, I don't know if you see it, but you really got to deal with it. Frankly, it's, it's embarrassing. You know, you're a deacon in the church. You should not have that in your eye. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, you should probably step down. Have you talked to Kyung about this or Rafe about this? Because that's just embarrassing, okay? So I just thought you should know, okay? See ya. <laughs> well, let's just give Brian a hand here. I, I could do that with Brian because Brian's a good friend of mine here. But you see what's going on here, right? Jesus is being outlandish. 
He is going out of his way to show us a person who would rather deal with the sin of others than to deal with their own sin. And Jesus uses a word here. He says that this person is a hypocrite. You know, the reference of this word here back in those ancient days was where an, an, an actor, just one actor, would play many different roles on the theater stage. And the way that this actor would be different actors is that he would wear all these different masks. To be a hypocrite is to pretend that you're lying. You, you look holy, but in your heart you're self-righteous. Instead of helping others to walk in holiness, you're a barrier to it. That's what it means to be a hypocrite. You are self-righteous, so self-righteous. And can I just say, it's this self-righteousness that will keep us from obeying the platinum rule because self-righteousness would make us believe that we are better than who we truly are before the cross. That it will make us believe that we're better than the people around us. So instead of being merciful, we become merciless. So here's the question. How can we fix this problem here? It's the end of verse 42. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So notice here, Jesus does expect us to take the speck out of our brother's eye, but what needs to come first? You need to first see clearly. Jesus is telling us that if we want to apply the platinum rule, we need to correct our vision. That before we look at sin and say, what about you? The gospel first demands that we first ask, what about me? How does this grip my life? Where am I blind to it? And it's when we do this, we will see the plank in our own eye. And when we see that plank, it will knock us out of our self-righteous pride. Because the gospel says that we are all helpless sinners. That we have all fallen short of God's standards. That as hard as we would try, we could never perform to his standards. We could never be good enough to meet his holiness. And because of that, the wages of sin must be condemnation and death. That is the reality of the plank and what it has done to our lives. But this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus was plank-free. He was speck-free. He was pencil-free. He was sinless. If anyone had the right to condemningly judge us, it was him. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, he allowed himself to be condemned in our place so that he could give us the righteousness of God when we place our faith in him. Jesus was the judge who allowed himself to be laid on the cross and to experience the harshest judgment in all of history so that now in God's eye, he would see us and we would be loved and accepted. When we see the cross clearly, it will empower us to live out the platinum rule because it's on the cross. Jesus was judged on behalf of his enemies so he could save us. Amen? Amen. Let me just close with this story here. In January of 1956, five American missionaries headed to the rainforest of eastern Amazon in Ecuador. They were making a visit to a tribe which anthropologists said was the most vicious, violent society on the face of Earth, that they had a culture of killing. You know, studies showed that in this village that 60% of the tribe died by homicide. You know, as soon as the missionaries got out of the plane, they were speared to death by members of the tribe. 
their brutal murders made news all around the world. You know, two of the men who were killed was Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. A couple of years later, Elizabeth and Valerie Elliott, wife and daughter of Jim, and Rachel Saint, sister of Nate, moved into that very village to show love and forgiveness and minister to the people who had killed their families. And eventually, because of their love, the leader of the tribe and the other men who participated in those murders gave their life to Christ. And the picture you see here behind me is a picture of Elizabeth Elliot just loving the people who are there, the people who killed her husband. Church, don't just do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Live out the platinum rule. Do unto others as Christ has done for you for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And more importantly, God, we thank you for who your word points to, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, a Savior who loved his enemies, a Savior who loved sinners before that we even knew to call out to him. He reached out to us in love. Father, we thank you, that God, that it's in Christ we have received grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, patience upon patience, tenderness upon tenderness. So, Father, how could we not do the same for those around us? So, God, would you help us to do that? Or help us to do it with the mean and difficult people in our lives. God, not because it's the right thing to do, but God, we do so because it brings you the glory. Because it points to how great our God is. So God, do that in us. God, we can't do it on our own. Father, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you in a few moments that we receive in communion, which is, which is a rehearsing of this great gospel story of a Savior who loves us. It's in Christ's name we pray.